For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Life is full of trials and tribulations, highs and lows, ups and downs. But what makes life worth living? The Living Out Loud podcast was created to encourage listeners to push past their circumstances. Don't let what you're going through or what you've been through in the past define you. Live without guilt or shame. Live out loud. Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Jay Shantae, with the Living Out Loud podcast, and I'm here today with one of my college friends who I have not seen in a long time, but um, she is here with us, Dr. Shamika Thorpe. Um, Shamika, could you take a little bit of time and introduce yourself to everyone? Yeah. Hi, my name is Dr. Shamika Thorpe, or Dr. Shamika. Um, I am a sexuality educator and researcher. I focus on the sexual health of Black women across their lifespan. Um, I am the co-founder of the Minority Sex Report, which is an online platform that provides representation and sexuality education to both Black and Native women. Um, and I currently work at the University of Kentucky, so they got me out here in the boonies in Kentucky, but I love it. <laughs> That's good. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Shavika, for joining us today. Um, so today we are going to talk about sex. Now, um, mm -hmm. that can sometimes be a taboo topic. Most people just do it. They don't necessarily talk about it. Um, but I think that because everybody participates um, it is important for us to just kind of discuss um, some of the myths and um, just some things to take away from the topic in and of itself, especially within the Black community. Um, so let's just yeah. dive right in. And what would you say, Dr. Shamika, are the top three myths about sex that are mm. kind of misconstrued in the world? Yeah, I think one, the bigger, the better. I don't know. I feel, I feel like that's something that's been trending, like, where people Forever. are like, yeah, that's a lie. Like, really, we don't want, we don't want 10 inches, like, you know, but <laughs> people hype it up, you know, and then when you're younger, you're like, yeah, that's what you want, right? And I think a lot of that is uh, because of things that we may see in pornography growing up, because we know that that's a lot of people's, like, first introduction into sex ed, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's one of the issues. I think um, that's one myth that I've heard where women now are like, no, nah, no, nah, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> um, I think another myth is like, that I always like to address is the fact that if you have to use lube, that something is wrong with you. Mm -hmm. um, and so I usually encourage people to try to use different types of personal lubricants. So there's oil-based, silicone-based, natural, uh, hybrid, and water-based, yes, oil-based, gotcha. all right, that's what I'm Okay. Um, and so, you know, just trying out different lubes because it does make sex more pleasurable, but oftentimes people are afraid to use it because of the stigma that comes along with it. So if you right. gotta whip out some lube in the middle of sex, it's like, oh, so something wrong with you, or oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, so I think that's the myth that I always hear from younger people, like teenagers up to 70 year olds, right? Like those are the things, or and even 70 year olds are like, what's lube, you know? Uh -huh. um, so 
uh-huh that's been a thing or like telling them why they can't use vaseline you know <laughs> once you get to that stand up crowd it's the vaseline group so we got to have those conversations because the sex ed system has failed us um and then the third myth i think would be that um I, I don't know if it's a myth, but it's more or less what an expectation that I think a lot of young girls have or teenagers have. And that's the fact that they expect sex to be painful um, because of their first time that they have sex. And that's what, their peer, that's what their peers have told them. And sometimes that's what they make it seem like in movies and in TV. Um, and so it doesn't always have to be. And I kind of like to reframe that because I want black women to have pleasurable sex experiences and if we go in thinking that it's going to be painful then that kind of shifts what we think pleasure should feel like absolutely absolutely so let's let's break down these three myths that we've just discussed so number one the bigger the better um again I think that you kind of hit it hit on it very well which is when we watch pornographic videos or movies um it's usually the case right that there is something large that we're having to look at and we we have grown up thinking that pornography is what sex should be like and that is not generally speaking the truth right because right everybody's not walking around looking like what we see and sex is not always going to be experienced in that way and so the reason that I think that it's important for us to talk about these myths is because I think that for one, there is a stigma against sex. And I'm pretty sure that some people who are going to listen to this episode are probably already cringing in their seat. But of let's course. not act like people don't have it. And so mm-hmm. if, to me, I'm a communicator by heart. So I think that everything should be communicated about, including sex. So if we can talk about these things and overcome these myths, it can hopefully help somebody when they decide to get married, have a pleasurable sex life, or if they get into a long-term relationship, they won't be so scared to have conversations. Um, So um, the bigger, the better is not always the case. Um, In your experience, um, how do I say this? In your experience, what what do you normally see or hear as far as, I mean, because we know society paints the picture of it being bigger and better um but we also know that there are also um sayings that you know it's it's not the size of the boat right it's it's the motion motion. of the ocean (laughs) (laughs) um so like what is your take on, on on those two different viewpoints of just having a sex life in general yeah I think it I mean I think it varies right and I think it varies from person to person because I think it varies from person to person and over your lifespan, because I think sometimes people go in saying, you know what, bigger the better, they might like having sex with someone who is more well endowed, and then later on they realize, okay, well, this doesn't work for me, or I like having sex with this partner, even though they're not as big as the last one, Mm -hmm. Um, and so sometimes it's what their skill level is, and then what I don't know, it may be other factors that play into that. It could be the intimacy that you have with that person. It could be other things, other things that connect you all together, or it could be, you know, that that's just something that you prefer later in life. Um, but I do see that it varies because it can't, and you know, and still for some people, they like having, you know, bigger sizes and the motion, like they want the boat and the motion, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, it just varies. Um, but either way, you know, that people choose, as long as it's pleasurable for them, that's what matters the most. Right. I absolutely agree. 
And so the second myth that we discussed was lubricant. And if it's one thing that you said that stuck out to me is from young to even 70 plus, right? So let's go ahead and bust the myth that old people are not intimate because they are. They are. Um, they are. They're just they're just yeah. as intimate as anybody else in the world, right? So um, that's I think that's important to note because you know the younger people think that older people don't do things that younger people do, um, and there is nothing new under the sun. Like you know, how did the younger people think that they got here, right? So <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, and I think I think too is like realizing that people are having sex when they're older but also there's dating apps for that like there's cougar dating apps there's sugar baby sugar daddy dating apps like so people are having sex when they're older and then also we know that you know um over the last couple of years that sti rates or sexually transmitted infection rates have gone up in older groups because they're having more casual sex because they didn't have sex said growing up in any type of way because right. they might have been married to a partner for a long time and never learned how to use a condom and now they're single so it's all these different things that play into it but they're definitely having sex absolutely absolutely and and you know I think that that's important because like you said like first of all one thing that is consistent in life is change so whether you were in a long-term relationship you know what I mean or if you decide you know what I've I've been single or I've dated men my age and now I want to date someone younger. You know what I mean? Like things like that happen. Change, you're going to grow and evolve within your life. And so um, that brings me to the point of you mentioning like skill level, right? Um, and so some people in society feel like they shouldn't have to teach someone else that mm -hmm. they should already know. But I think that part of the problem is going back to when you're younger, you watch pornography, you think that that's what you're supposed to do. And that's what people want you to do when some people fail to realize that every experience with every person is not the same. So what you yep. did for the first person may not work for someone else later on down the line. It might not be as pleasurable for them. So you have to learn your, your special person that you're with to know what will and will not work for them. Yeah, I mean, if you don't take the time to teach someone about your body, then how would they know, right? Like, that's part of our job is to, as a partner is to be like, this is what I like, this is what I dislike, because sometimes what happens is people then end up faking orgasms, and then that partner thinks they did something right and continues to do the thing that you hated. So we're doing ourselves a disservice by doing that, by not speaking up and saying what we like. You know, you just said a mouthful because I know people and I'm not going to act like I have not in my lifetime, you know, we pretend, you know what I mean? And, but, but honey, you get to an age where you no longer fake it till you make it. Okay. <laughs> Honesty is the best policy after a while. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, someone um, close to me um, told me once, they said, you should be the expert for your body. And so you have to teach people what it is that you like, you know what I mean? So I think that even if what you like changes over your lifespan, that's where proper communication comes in with your special person and letting them know, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Or, you know, hey, I'm willing to try new things is important because you know what you're comfortable with and you don't want to fake it. And that person thinks that you like it and you really don't. Yeah. 
and then you're just gonna keep having that bad sex you don't want to have right <laughs> so yeah I think that's I think that's definitely important I'm glad you brought up like you know the changes and what you like and dislike how that changes over you know your lifespan but also what you're willing to try and so definitely communicating that but I often feels like feel like sometimes as black women we aren't taught, taught to explore our bodies, right? To explore our bodies and learn what we like and dislike. Like so often when I'm doing research, I'm doing interviews. So I um, did a study on sexual pain and pleasure among black women living in the South. And one thing was that, you know, they didn't feel like that their bodies were for sexual pleasure, for their sexual pleasure, but for the sexual pleasure of men. Mm -hmm. um because society never taught them and their family never taught them that you know their pleasure was important and I heard that from several participants and so we have to kind of reclaim that and realize our pleasure is important and you know we do deserve to understand what brings us pleasure and we shouldn't feel shame around that absolutely absolutely and, and this podcast is all about not living without shame so speak up for yourself you are your best cheerleader um so i i think that's definitely important um and so the last myth that we talked about is that you know a lot of younger women think that sex can be a painful thing especially um their first time and um i'll kind of continue on to that not just your first time but you know after having children sex is different mm -hmm. um as you get into your 40s and 50s sex becomes even more different um, but it's not something that you should be scared of because at any point when you become uncomfortable, you just have to communicate that, right? Like it all falls back into communication and letting your special person know what your limits and boundaries are. Yeah. And going to the, a medical provider, right? So I think sometimes even when we're going to see OBGYNs or if you get a pap smear from, you know, your regular primary physician, you know, just bringing that up because a lot of times we know they won't. Like my doctors never asked, well, I'll take it back. I had a good OBGYN in Greensboro. She did ask me a lot about my sexual experiences. But um, sometimes doctors don't ask about sexual experiences and what that is like. But if you're there, it's important to advocate for yourself and ask questions if you notice that something feels different or you're having this reoccurring pain and know that there's other options besides just like, you know, lube that also there's pelvic floor therapy. So people can go to pelvic floor therapists to help with some sexual pain as it relates to, um, you know, just like pain from penetration, but also sometimes people get pelvic pain as they get older and go through menopause. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something to consider for sure. Um, so what does a healthy sex life look like or what should it consist of? Ooh. It should be fun. Okay. Mm -hmm. It should be um, something that a healthy sex life is one where all parties know each other's STI status. So that's very important, like getting tested regularly and knowing your status and communicating that to partners. And if something changes, telling them right like and so hey, well, let's, let's park the bus right there because that's that's yeah that's a good conversation to have so i i'm an advocator of before i even before i become involved with someone right i always check myself and i like to have a conversation and figure out what their status is because if we both come to the situation clean and then someone mm -hmm. gets dirty 
then we know who to look at, assuming that we've had a conversation that we are exclusive with each other. Because I think mm-hmm. that that is also a conversation to be had of are we going to be exclusive with each other or are you going to be having other people that you're involved with in addition to me? Because then that's the conversation of is there or is there not going to be protection? Because there are a lot of risks that you take when you don't use protection, especially if you or the other person are involved with other people. But I think that in my experience, having the conversation about STI status comes across as if we are assuming that you have something. When really Mm -hmm. we're just making sure that you know that I have nothing and you confirming that like it's a mutual understanding of where we Mm -hmm. start to know that if things Mm -hmm. change, like you said, we know what's going on. Yeah, where you start and then also like, so yeah, knowing if things change, definitely talking about that, but also going in and even if your partner does have an STI, so say for instance, if they did have an STI, it doesn't mean that you couldn't have sex with them and it doesn't mean that you couldn't that you would get the STI if you did have sex with them. So that's another conversation to have too, because you know there's people um, living with herpes or people that are living with HIV and their partner has never contracted either of those. And so it's important to have those conversations too about what does that look like and talking to your, your, you know, your medical provider if you have any questions, but also they should be open to you know, answering those questions as well. Um, but I think definitely it does come across and I feel like that happened a lot of times, like when I was younger, it came across as people being like, oh, so what you saying? I got an STI. And I'm like, uh-huh. well, no, but I don't necessarily know if you do or you don't. Like, that's what I'm asking you. <laughs> Correct. Um, so, like, you know, either way, like, you don't know if I do or if I don't. Like, you should ask too. So yeah. I think that's... I think that's part of the problem. But as I've gotten older, I've seen that shift where it's not that. It's like where the people are open to talk about it because they understand like, you know, they understand the importance of kind of having these, having a healthy sex life doesn't mean that you don't have an STI, but having a healthy sex life means that everyone's informed. And I think that's the thing. That is good. That's really, really good. Yeah. Um, so what else do you think um, should consist um, within a healthy sex life? One that's that's free of shame, especially for Black women. That's one thing that I feel like keeps coming up that I see a lot. It's just kind of the shame that we deal with of um, growing up and being called it fast or not being able to embody our sexuality or seeing people that, you know, dress or act a certain way on social media and how people react to that now. Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, those are things that really hinder how we view ourselves as sexual beings. And so I think just having the space to explore without shame is something that's um, really important. Um, I don't know, just always be open, open to exploring new things and trying new things, you know, within your comfort zone or within your your limits. Um, and, you know, with, with consent, because consent is a healthy sex life. So those are the, <laughs> those are the, the main things I would say, like fun, exploration, being open and shame-free. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so um, to kind of end this, because you specialize um, in um, sex education and research for women of color, um, Mm -hmm. within the Black community, what are some of the top things that you feel like we should know, consider, or discuss often regarding sex in general? Um. 
I think definitely we should have more conversations with our doctors about sex. Like, I don't know if this is a generational thing or what, but I feel like a lot of times in interviews, what I've heard with Black women is like they're uncomfortable having conversations with their doctors about sexual problems that they may be facing, but we have to start those conversations early to try to get any diagnosis that may be happening and so we get treated and catch things quick. Um, I think one thing that's really important for us is knowing our family history around anything, right? Like, so any type of reproductive health disorder. Um, So if I didn't know my family history, like I would be, um, that I wouldn't be getting pap smears as regularly as I get them, right? Because my great grandma had ovarian cancer or, you know, my mom had endometriosis. My aunts have fibroids. Like these are things you need to know. So when you're going into your appointments, it's like, okay, so what does this mean for me? Like checking off those boxes for yourself and to the best of your ability, because I know not everyone can, you know, has access to their family history, but definitely if you do ask questions, so you know what that means for you. Um, And especially so you don't feel like you're going through something alone if you do get diagnosed with something because you might get diagnosed with fibroids and that doesn't mean that anyone in your family didn't have them. You just don't know because people don't talk about it. Right, Um, absolutely. mm -hmm. So I think definitely having those conversations. Um, I think, you know, Black people be religious and I think... (laughs) I think realizing that religion and sex can go together. I think that's something that one well, of- well, Dr. Shamika, let's be honest, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure most of the people that have that are in church, myself included, have had sex at some point in time. Um, and you're right, religion and sex can can coexist. Um, mm-hmm. because I mean, when 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 God made Adam and Eve, you know, they had children. Um, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So it's not it's not that sex doesn't happen. I think that for me um sex is something that you have to be responsible in doing now i'm not out here condoning premarital sex because i believe in the bible and 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 that's where i'm gonna stay that's where i'm gonna stay now i'm not gonna also not gonna sit here and like i have not had premarital sex okay um because i'm i'm far from perfect but i do think that some people and like i said this this podcast episode is going to make some religious people uncomfortable failing to realize that sex and religion can coexist in a mm-hmm. healthy way um mm-hmm. because even if you're in the church and you're married you still should have a healthy sex life you should still mm-hmm. have conversations with your partner your doctors etc so just because your religion doesn't exclude you from trying to have these conversations yeah and so I definitely know like there's three people that do work, they're three black women, they do work around sex and religion. So one is uh, Big Brittany. She is with the intimacy firm on Instagram. She's always doing IG lives, workshops, everything. Um, we also have Sankofa Sex, which is um, Deandra, and then Dr. Lissette Cross. Um, and they all do great work. Um, around religion and sexuality and what that means for couples, but also individuals. Um, and so I think that's really important. And then one thing that really popped up is so that the reason why I brought that up is because when I did a study with um, Black adolescent girls, one thing that really popped up is like how their religion caused them to have some sexual shame. And so it stopped them from having mm. open conversations with their friends, open conversations with their parents about, you know, what decisions that they were thinking of making around sex because they felt so much shame and guilt in doing it. 
And then it was interesting because I had read another study um, that was in Flint, Michigan, and they were trying to figure out how to do a sex ed program at a black church. Um, and, you know, wanted to know what the, the congregation wanted, because I've also, you know, with, through the minority sex report, we've given out condoms, lube, everything at church fairs, like they invite mm -hmm. us to church fairs in Raleigh, we're going to be there, you know, that was mm -hmm. our, our thing before COVID hit. Um, and one thing that the, you know, the kids said that they, the teens said that they really wanted um, in Flint, Michigan, they said that they really wanted people to stop being hypocritical. Because although they might they might say, you know, try to abstain and don't have sex, they know that they had sex. And so they want them to be yes. more open about that and, yes. and talk about that versus placing shame on them. And so that's one thing that really stood out is that, you know, we need to have a safe space for people to talk about their sexual experiences. So teenagers feel free to have these conversations. And that's why it's also important to hire sexuality educators you know, to talk to teens, especially those that, you know, if you want someone that's, well, whose work is based in like Christianity or in religion, definitely those three people I mentioned. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I also think that, you know, it's important that even within the church and within religion, um, there are going to be some people who choose to have sex before marriage, but mm -hmm. you want to make sure that if they do, they're educated. And they mm -hmm. know what to do, what not to do. You know what I mean? As far as checking statuses and having conversation, open dialogue, not going outside of your limits or your comfort levels. But if you don't have the conversation with them and all you tell them is don't have sex, when they do, they don't, you know what I mean? You're not preparing them for what might happen. Yeah, um, and you're not so creating a safe space. You're not creating a safe space too because you got to think that sometimes, you know, definitely I know with a lot of couples that I've known that's gotten married, they had to go to couples counseling with their pastor before they got married, right? So mm -hmm. say that couple ends up having a issue with sexual intimacy in their relationship. Well, that's something that I've never talked to my pastor about, but my pastor is supposed to be my counselor. Mm. Then how am I going to get, how am I going to have that conversation when that's the big issue in my marriage? Yeah. And yeah. So I think also encouraging couples to know like when they should seek sex counseling and sex therapy too if they feel like that isn't a safe space for them. That's good. That's good. You know, because I always correlate um, sex in the church with when you teach a child to swim. You say, make sure you don't drown. Yeah. All you tell them is don't drown. You don't tell them how to safely swim. You just say, don't drown. So in their mind, <laughs> the only thing they're thinking about is the worst thing I can do is drown. So mm -hmm. when you're talking about religion and sex, you know, the church tells us don't have sex until you're married. So in their mind, the worst thing I can do is have sex before marriage. And then I have to wear this scarlet letter. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And everybody's going to think that I am not worthy when mm -hmm. that is not the case. Mm -hmm. um, the beginning of my podcast intro is we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standards. So nobody here is perfect. You know what I mean? So it's right. all about not being shamed. Mm -hmm. um, by the choices that you make and living without guilt. Because if you make a choice, that is your choice. Don't let anyone shame you out of it. If you, if you learn from it, then you learn from it and you live to make a better choice the next day. Yeah, and one thing I always like to point out too is like there's even research to show that like people, so people, especially black teens that are more religious, the first time that they have sex, they're less likely to use condoms because they don't know how to and no one's taught them wow. how to. Yeah, because that's 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 not a conversation in the church. No, all, but it's like don't do it, and then they go do it, and, and then it's they're like, well, I don't know what to do because I wasn't prepared for this. Yeah, 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 for sure. 
Whew, well, that was loaded. <laughs> um, well, well, Dr. Shamika, um, I, again, I appreciate you um, joining today's episode. I'm hoping that this conversation will help someone feel more comfortable about sex in general. Um, yeah. If people want to be able to get in touch with you, if you want to give like your Instagram, your social media handles, website, all that good stuff, that way, if they want to reach out to you after today's episode, they can do that. Yeah, so I am, everything is Dr. Shamika. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and my website is drshamika.com. And Shamika is S-H-E-M-E-K-A. So feel free to reach out to me about um, anything as it pertains to sex and Black women and research. Well, thank you again, Dr. Shamika. I appreciate you being willing to join my podcast episode. Um, We may have to reconnect again. Um, depending on what the listeners say, because I love getting feedback from them. So guys, if you enjoyed today's conversation and you have questions or anything, please feel free to send those to info at jasminshante.com and we'll be sure to get Shamika back. But guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining today's episode. I hope that I said something that captured your attention and that personally you could connect with. And I also hope that you'll come back for the next episode. In the meantime, please continue to live without guilt or shame and continue to live out loud.